Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Sabotage right here from the Hall of the Mountain King release with the price you pay. Going out by request to our good friend Sal. His message to uh, everyone who voted for Biden. <laughs> nice. It's the price you pay. Right. Yeah. How'd you like that uh, GIF somebody put together so quickly about uh, President Trump uh, hitting those golf balls and knocking Biden down on the stairs into Air Force One? Yeah, what happened there? Did did dude fall down the steps or something? Three times. Really? He can't even climb the stairs. <laughs> That's hilarious. He just fell. Yeah, three times. He he fell, then he got barely got up and stumbled to his feet, then he fell again, and then he stumbled to his feet and fell again. Dude, you would think at this point that they would surround him like they did Killery. Remember, remember when Killary was out there and they had the guys to catch her when she was falling off of herbs and stuff. Well, well you know what they're going to end up doing with the uh, with the uh, jetway ramp up to the Air Force One. They're going to put one of those uh, tarps. No, one of those little seats that uh, you know, like people attach <laughs> to their stairs, right? You know, and he'll sit in the seat and then ride up to the top. That'd be great. Can you can you even believe that this pudding head is the president? I try not to. And it's just so far beyond belief that this guy is occupying the White House. Yeah, I try I try my damnedest not to pay attention to this. I mean, this guy is so clearly impaired. Well, he's his pen isn't impaired though. He'll he'll write whatever they tell him to. Yeah, I know, but geez, I don't know. I'm not gonna get into it. <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's so it's so disheartening and sickening to think about that well you know I'm, I'm sure that i'm sure the other world world leaders world superpowers none of them are thinking boy we could run wild on this <laughs> no they're they're sitting there laughing at us going holy fuck they they actually uh they actually elected an imbecile to yeah. the office they let this fool in now we're gonna yeah. run over them <laughs> exactly I'm sure that's what the thought is too, is we're going to run this fucking idiot over. Well, he, he'll, he's more than happy to just hand the keys over to all these guys. Well, what, what does he care? He'll, he'll be dead soon. That's my point. It's like, yeah. I've already enriched myself on, on my Chinese deals and my, you know, my Burisma deals and all these other things. It's like, what do I give a fuck? Yeah. Fuck it. Doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the complicit media have been really good about shielding, uh, my, my loser son Hunter from any kind of scrutiny. 
Yeah. They canceled all those stories and they, you know, scrubbed the internet and all this other stuff. Make sure that doesn't get out there. Yeah. Oh, hey, good on him. I'm glad he's had a good life. Yeah, absolutely. Even though it comes at the expense of all of the rest of us. Yeah. Oh, well. Only what? Three, three years and 10 months to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, he isn't going to make it through his whole first term. That's for sure. I mean, th this guy is clearly impaired. He, he's been in office for uh, two months mm -hmm. and he has not had a state of the union address. He has not had one press conference where he's actually fielded questions openly. Right. Nothing in two months. Is the state of the union a requirement or not? I don't think it's a requirement. It's just, uh, you know, something that they do every year. I mean, and the thing here, here's the thing. They, they, they know that the guy is not competent enough to sure. be able to stand up there and talk for, you know, 90 minutes or an hour, hour, 90 minutes or whatever. Right. He, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have the mental capacity to do so. It would be, it would be so great if he just went up and said, Mr. Speaker or Madam Speaker or whatever. Who's the speaker now? Is it still Nancy? Yeah. It's that cunt bag from San Francisco. Madam Speaker, esteemed colleagues, the State of the Union is great. Thank you very much. And then just left. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all you need to know because that's what they told me to say. That's right. For the rest of the speech, I bring you Richard Levine. I mean, Rachel Levine. Come on up here, sir. That's ma'am. Okay, ma'am. Come on up. Ma'am. Come on up. Uh, all right. Well, on the entertainment. Yeah. Let's not go into politics here. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, because of this COVID issue, mm -hmm. which has really affected the entire world as, as we know it, mm -hmm. uh, the, probably the biggest industry next to the, uh, the service industries like restaurants and so forth that was hit the hardest mm -hmm. is the entertainment industry. Yeah, I'd say. And, uh, so Here's a, I, I'm going to assume this is an opinion piece okay. or, or perhaps maybe somebody just kind of laying out how things are in the music industry. Right. Uh, according to the headline, big music needs to be broken up to save the industry. Big music. Big music. Okay. A year without live music has been a disaster. So has corporate power in streaming, recording, and ticketing. So antitrust must might be the only solution. Okay. The COVID-19 pandemic has shattered the music industry by taking away live music for what will likely be 18 months or more. COVID has ended the revenue stream that animated an entire music ecosystem. This is particularly true for the independent artists with few other means of making a living in today's industry. Musicians lost two thirds of their typical income in 2020. Live music revenues fell 85%. Surprises that that low, really? I would imagine it was 98%. Well, you got to remember that uh, that the COVID restrictions didn't start till March. True. So. So there was a quarter of the year that people were actively touring because you got to remember a year ago, I was on the road with Dawkins 
That's right. Remember, I, I was out there for three days or actually four days for three three shows. That's right. Yeah. That's when everything got locked down right after that, the weekend. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. The Save Our Stages bill passed in December as part of the second round of the pandemic relief has offered a lifeline, but even after it, after it's again safe to see a live gig, the underlying driver of the music industry's deep inequity will persist. For decades, corporate uh, concentration and the rise of streaming music platforms has shifted power to tech giants and to a, and to a conglomerate uh, through the staggering, let's see here, let me reread that. For decades, corporate concentration and the rise of streaming music platforms has shifted power to tech giants and to the conglomerate that through the staggering failures of U.S. monopoly regulations has come into dominant terrestrial and satellite radio, concert promotion, ticketing artist management, and venue ownership, essentially every revenue-generating slice of the industry. Thanks, Bill Clinton. Uh, three major record labels produce two-thirds of all the music consumed in America. They are the most powerful buyer of music and talent, and they use that power to prioritize a handful of megastars and pop hits. They pitch music into massive radio conglomerates and streaming platforms that control how much music is consumed, and they collect an ever-growing share of the industry revenue. Right. Concerts, a crucial space where independent uh, venues and artists have largely sidestepped corporate gatekeepers are increasingly threatened by COVID shutdowns and prospects that Live Nation and other Wall Street-backed giants will either buy them out or put them out of business. Okay. In the broad middle class of independent artists, record labels, venues, and other small businesses must now rely on and increasingly pay monopolistic for access to bands and fans. For some, the pandemic made a difficult situation impossible. Decades of bad policy got us here. Dangerous corporate mergers went unchecked, had uh, conduct unpunished, but now sweeping changes to the way we police corporate power appear to be on the way. New legislation proposed in the Senate along with the House committees recommended legal changes after a comprehensive look at a monopoly power among Apple, Amazon, Google, and Facebook are aimed at reining in unchecked corporate power. In enacting and successful, if enacted and successful, the proposed changes would rebalance the music industry away from the corporate bigness and towards music's vibrant crucial middle class i don't believe that's going to happen no neither money always talks mm -hmm. five years ago a record industry executive named darius van arman gave pre-grammy award speech on the state of the music business the co-owner of the security group he led as an independent label had become a become a taste and hit maker with an artist roster including Bon Iver. Are you familiar with that? No. Uh, Dinosaur Jr. Heard of that. And the, the War on Drugs. Don't know that. Don't know that one either. Van Arman uh, offered a simple litmus test for whether music is independent. The shape-shifting term applied to everything from punk bands playing 
basement gigs to the cash flush indie subsidiaries of major labels. You are independent if you are a pro you are independent if you are pro competitive, he said. You didn't specifically mention the three major labels that is Universal, Sony, and Warner Music, but his logic would suggest that there is something inherently anti-competitive about them. He later clarified in an interview, if you're independent, you're not looking to reduce competition by acquiring their rivals or for other unfair advantages that tilt the industry toward the corporate dominance. He's right. From the industry's emergence through the 1940s and 1950s, there were no major labels. There were just labels. Numerous and diverse, starting in the mid-1960s, many combined into much larger labels that controlled major artists in their recordings. By the turn of the millennial or millennium, uh, just five labels dominated the recording industry. Then in 2003, Sony bought rival BMG, and nearly a decade later, Universal Music took over EMI. Consumers and industry groups pushed officials to block both the deals, particularly because of the power and the combined labels would have over the music copyrights and the distribution of physical albums. Antitrust agencies cleared both mergers unconditionally. Today, Universal uh, music group, the largest of the three, is so big that many of its labels, that is Capitol Records, Interscope, Def Jam, Republic, have their own subsidiaries. Concentration is always a danger. That's why there's a, uh, a competition. Let's see. That's why there are competition authorities, um, which includes Matador Records, Rough Trade, and other indies. I think it's particularly a bad thing when it comes to a creative business. When there are only three companies representing music and artists, it's obviously a concern. Among those concerns are that the majors violated the antitrust laws in the early days of streaming. The Justice Department probed, probed the majors for alleged abuse of their collective power by refusing to license their catalogs to nascent streaming services. N-A-S-C-E-N-T. What does that mean? No idea. Nascent. Especially of a process or organization just coming into existence and beginning to display signs of future potential. Okay. I guess that would be like Spotify or somebody like that. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Instead of starting their own streaming app, they would have exclusive control on the content. The government ultimately took no action. At the same time, state attorneys general extracted $143 million from the major labels and several retailers for conspiring to inflate CD prices, demonstrating the major's stranglehold on the music distribution. Okay. The, ma the major still distribute more than 80% of all the physical music today. Dominance that has proven disastrous. Three years ago, independent record stores around the country began reporting bizarre shipments arriving at their door. A truck full of, of what was supposed to be new released records was filled with prescription cough syrup. <laughs> what? At another store, a full-size freight truck arrived with just four records inside. Something had clearly gone awry in the supply chain. All right, that's bizarre. 
Uh, just months before Warner Music shift, shifted the shifting, and just months before Warner Music shifted the shipping and the storage of its records to a company called Direct Shot Dist uh, Distributing, which already handled fulfillment for Universal and Sony and the many independent labels that rely on the majors to re reach the stores. When Direct Shot failed, it exposed shockingly fragility of the industry that, again, relies almost entirely on the major labels to distribute physical records. It's not clear why all three majors choose the same fulfillment company, but when they did and it failed, they endangered the existence of hundreds of small businesses. So, again, it's all the eggs in one basket thing. And they all chose it because they were the cheapest price. Yeah, it was cheap, and they probably had a pretty good uh, distribution system. So it's just yeah. like, well, why, why, you know, create a competitor? These guys are going to those stores anyway. So just take our shit with you. Exactly. Major labels have helped greatly narrow what was considered popular music. Major label artists released more than 90% of all the top 10 songs over the last decade and their dominance has drastically reduced the diversity in artists and the sounds that appear and remain on the charts. According to the data collected by uh, Colin Morris, Michael E. Varnum, and other researchers and provided to The Wire the number of the new songs entering the Billboard Top 100. Is that even a thing anymore? It is. It's just none of our music is on it, so we don't pay attention anymore. I guess so. Uh, let's see here. Entering the Billboard Hot 100 peaked in 1966 with 740 new songs entering the chart. By 2001, the number had fallen off to 308 new songs, and today it remains around half of that, the 1960s peak. Hmm. Majors continue unchecked pop music dominance is particularly the product of the time-tested blockbuster strategy of over-investing in a handful of extreme profitable artists and albums, but the majors are now more flush with cash than ever, and they've used those resources to buy a staggering number of new acts, an average of two a day. Okay. None of this would be possible without relying on the other twin tower of music industry power that is Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and the other streaming platforms. Streaming has almost single-handedly saved the music business from 1998 to 2013. Industry revenue fell by more than half from more than $14 billion and le to less than $6 billion. As Music Online abruptly called the very profitable sales of CDs, then Spotify first arrived in the U.S. in 2011. Skeptics abound abounded that being Radiohead frontman, um, Tom York famously called Spotify the last desperate fart of a dying corpse. <laughs> Streaming, of course, has become the main way music reaches the masses and the industry's primary revenue generator. Analysts believe streaming alone will generate $75 billion annually by the end of the decade. Okay. Uh, more than three times the industry's late 1990 peak. As streaming rose to prominence, so did the outsized corporate power that has come to control nearly all the music distribution and revenue. Spotify and Google YouTube account for accounts for three quarters of all the streams globally. 
Along with the streaming services of tech monopolies, Apple and Amazon, four companies have a near total stranglehold on the market. The level of control in those few large companies is very dangerous, says Lewis Posen, uh, head of the legendary punk label Hopeless Records. To him, it's no different than elsewhere in the increasingly monopolized economy and no different than a century ago when monopolies in railroads, oil, steel, and other essential goods controlled American commerce. When just a few companies control the power, bad things will happen. The power imbalance has worsened. The industry's inequity that is Apple, Google, and Amazon are able to bankroll their music offerings through the monopoly profits elsewhere. Spotify boasts 150 million subscribers, more than twice that of Apple, and his stock value has doubled during the pandemic. All right. That, see, that's so I'm going to stop you there for a minute. Okay. That is a totally misleading number. Totally misleading number. Because the difference is Apple doesn't have a free tier, Spotify does have a free tier. No, I that they sell commercials on that free tier. Sure. But what I'm saying, like, I have a Spotify account. Yes. I can't remember the last time I listened to Spotify. Yeah, I, I had a Spotify account and I, you know, our good friend, uh, what was his name? Batista. Yeah, yeah. He he threw us a couple of free years. Mm -hmm. But after that, I bought, I think I bought my Spotify account, I think, three years in a row. Right. And I haven't had it for two years now. Man, you really miss it, right? No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a YouTube, I have YouTube music, which, you know, I'm paying the enemy, I guess, but, you know, I, I love YouTube music, so I'm keeping it. And, um, you know, but, but again, YouTube, I would say whatever the number of YouTube music compared to Spotify would be apples to apples. A Apple would not be because Apple doesn't have a free tier. Correct. So whatever YouTube music has would be the, e the equivalent, you know, it's the same with Amazon. You, I, I think Amazon has a free tier, but you can't like pick the songs. They have like a, a radio player tier. Yeah. 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 You know, but they're, they're just, they're leading you a little bit astray too, with these numbers, 150 million people. Ha no, stop it. Well, they, they said subscribers. Yeah, well, a free subscription is still a subscription. Okay, well, I didn't know. I didn't know if you listen to Spotify on the free side, that's considered a subscription. It is. It oh. absolutely is because okay. all right, like if you try, like if somebody throws you a Spotify link, yeah, and you try to listen to it, and you don't you have unless you're you logged in, right? You have to log in. Okay, all right. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware. Yeah, so Spotify definitely makes you log in. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't disagree with these points. And we could talk about where we're at to this before you finish this. But, you know, I, I agree that it's, it, is a, it is a power vacuum. But it's the weird thing is it's a power vacuum for, for big name music. But unless you're going to read it here shortly, it's also created a whole new industry for unsigned bands and, and smaller bands and indie bands, you know, <clears throat> I don't know how many of these, these emails you get anymore, dude, but every email that I get from every small band right now, one of the links where before it used to be, here's our Facebook, here's our Twitter. 
First link I get from everybody is here's our band camp. Bandcamp has become huge. Okay. For for independent artists. Yeah, but but see, Bandcamp doesn't have like a Metallica on it. No, that's what I'm saying. It's for indie artists. It's yeah, and that's why it's called Bandcamp because it's mm -hmm. it's new newbies or people who are not you know signed right. signed artists and whatever. And mm -hmm. that, that's pretty. You know that 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 was a pretty uh, smart thing for the whoever started Bandcamp. Yeah. But I think I think what this I think what this art art article is saying is that you know these majors are have the power to either make or break a band, which yeah. is nothing new. Yeah, that's the same as it's always been. It's always been that way. But what they're saying it's it's just not fair for say a new like like you you're mentioning Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's a grassroots thing for new new artists to try to get out there and be heard. Right. And, and I think what they're saying is that, you know, Google or Apple or even Spotify can, um, what, prioritize creators or artists? Sure. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what YouTube does. They, they'll, they'll diminish certain people that they don't like or don't agree with or whatever, and they'll raise the profile of others like mm -hmm. corporate media or something you know hasn't that always been the case in in any big media isn't that the same as a tv station canceling a show because they don't like the you know the the host or the commentary or whatever yeah, yeah of course it's the same thing yeah i agree you know i i mean i think they're trying to make more out of it because the truth is is that the technology beat the music industry and the music industry has a lot of money behind it, which is which is the only reason anybody gives a shit about this is because there's there's a the the actual dummies, and I'm saying dummies as in not the music industry people, just the regular Joes. Yes. The dummies beat the industry. The way the industry has fallen, if you want an example of it re in recent times, is very, very almost exactly similar to these Reddit guys that fucking took out these hedge funds with yeah, um, yeah, the, with that, that, yeah, that Robin, that Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Yeah, this is it's exactly the same if you think about it. The industry had all the cards, all the cards, and they were robbing people blind. They were charging people twenty dollars a CD for a CD with one or two good songs on it, and they were paying the artists big amounts of money and whatever. And the industry, the, the, the dummies figured out how to get around it. The technology had changed and adapted. And before you knew it, you had Napster and, um, LimeWire and, you know, all these other, you know, BitTorrent collectives. What was that? Pirate Bay? Pirate Bay was another yeah. one. Um, Zero Day. You know, there was all kinds of these things that popped up because, People got tired of getting fucked over and they took it back. And the industry was so stupid and smug that they, they just were like, oh, these fucking, these dummies we will squash them in no time and we'll get back to business. Well, that no time ended up being that the whole industry went to shit. Yeah. People just decided they don't want physical product anymore. They literally let it go on until people decided that, yeah, just downloading something is okay. That's really what they ended up doing. You know, if, if they would have squashed MP3 immediately, if the 
if the record companies would have said to Apple the minute they debuted the iPod, we are not allowing you your product to carry any of our licensed music. That would have been the end of it. That would have been the end of it. But they didn't do that. They were like, oh, well, let's embrace this new thing. And, you know, it's going to be great. And we can find a way to monetize that. And we can, remember, we can we can sell albums directly to Apple like this U2 album. And then, and then everybody gets it and it's a win-win. They had all these dumb thoughts. Yeah. And I mean, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback it now, but you know, instead of just putting the clamp down and said, no, this is our business. We sell CDs and cassettes or we sell physical product. They didn't do that. They went in, they didn't, they didn't assess the danger properly and they got fucked for it. And now their business is over. Yeah. That's simple, really. Well, what, what's really funny, uh, I, I I found this old interview from 1987 when when Dawkins back for the attack came out, mm-hmm. and they were over in Japan. I think they were recording the uh, Beast from the East. They were over there doing the the you know five or six shows that they recorded Beast from the East from. Okay, so they were out there you know, being interviewed about the release of back for the attack. And mind you, this is 1987. Okay. And the interviewer asked the band because the whole band was there. They said, have you, have you seen the dat recorder yet? That the digital audio, you know, tape mm-hmm. recorder and Jeff Pilson, he goes, yeah, I bought one. He got, he was like really excited. And Don was just like, yeah. And I told him he's cutting his own throat. Right. And he goes, no, I'm not. And Don went on to be very blunt about it. He said, this digital audio tape, this recorder, he said, this is going to be the death of the industry. Now, mind you, this was 1987. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is going to be the in- the death of the industry. You're going to be able to take that digital audio tape and record your favorite, you know, you, uh, your CD or whatever, and you're going to be able to di- distribute that in underground ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to destroy the industry. Yeah. And now this was before the internet. Sure. You know, and you know, here, w- when did, when did, uh, when did Napster become a thing? That was what 90, what was it like 99 or 2000? Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was like 13 years before this. And he was talking about digital distribution of music already. 2001 on Napster. Yeah. So, so there you go. This this interview was in 87. So that was like 14 years before. Mm -hmm. And again, 14 years, that's a long time in the, in the industry. And he was just like, yeah, this, this is going to destroy the industry. This digital, this digital, uh, recording of records and CDs and stuff because CDs basically were only around about four years at this point. I think they came out like 83 or 84. Right. And he was right. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the very first step, the, the DAT tapes. Yeah. And it was true. You know, it was true to form. It wasn't like you recording a song off the radio using your tape recorder. This was very, you know, this was very concentrated, high tech shit for that time. Sure, it was. Yeah, he goes, yeah, you're just slicing your own throat. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it did. But the industry, the industry itself didn't acknowledge it either. You know, guys like Don may have, you know, onesie twosie guys, but Don should have been into, into Electra's office screaming about this shit. Yeah. He should have been like, wait a minute. You know, don't you dare license my product to be on this fucking platform. <laughs> exactly. Seriously. I mean, he should have been like, I do not want my fucking product on this digital platform. Yeah. And they, they just were like, ah, whatever, dude, it's fine. Yeah. You know? It's going to be a big thing. Just watch. You'll see. Yeah. You'll get a residual from it. Yeah. You'll get a residual and you won't even have to produce a product. It's going to be great. Yeah. It is great for guys like me. <laughs> Fantastic for guys like me. I don't care if I ever get another product. Exactly. Give a fuck, but you know, it, it's not good for, you know, like guys like Jackal that only want to have fucking product. Exactly. Like you right now, dude. I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously if anybody's watching, they can see the 10 million CDs you have behind yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I've accumulated those over since, since 80, I think I, I think I bought my very first CD. I, I believe the very first CDs that I owned was the, the uh, Led Zeppelin box set, the, the okay. four CDs. About 80, 89. Yeah. Yeah. 88, 89. I think that was my first CDs. Sure. Okay. How many have you bought in the last five years? None. Yeah, that's the point. Do you miss them? Do you no. miss going to that store? No, because you miss going to the store, but do you miss actually the physical product? Well, it, it used to be fun, but but the thing is, is that the physical product isn't cool anymore. There there really isn't anything that that compelling about it because you know, again, all kinds of people, whether it's Bob Bandian or or Mitch Lafon or anybody who talked about the old days of buying physical product. Mm -hmm. I was one of those connoisseurs who bought the albums and I would sit there and I re would read the sleeve on the inside and it would say who produced it, who wrote it, who contributed, who, you know, mm -hmm. mixed it, who, you know, and, and you'd see, you know, familiar names on there, whether it be Bo Hill or a Wynn Davis or a, or a Michael Wagner or Ted Templeman or, you know, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, I, you know, I kind of recognize that sound, you know. Yeah. Or, or sometimes you would go into the store, look at the record and buy a record because of that. I, I'll be honest. That's the reason I bought the first Bullet Boys record because it had Ted Templeman's name on it. I, you know, I, I didn't know anything about the bullet boys when I bought it. I just looked at the records that produced by Ted Templeman. I was like, oh, yeah, Van Halen. It must sound like Van Halen. I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Because this, some of these record producers had a sound, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you would hear it and you were just go, oh yeah, you know, this is produced by Michael Wagner. You know, yeah. uh, Skid Row was produced by Michael Wagner. Dokken was produced by Michael Wagner. Bo Hill worked with Rat. You know, uh, Tom Weirman worked with Motley Crue, yeah. you know, and so, so you were familiar with those names, the producers back then, and this uh -huh. is for the younger listeners who didn't live during that era or weren't around. That was an important factor for oh, yeah. a lot of people who are real music connoisseurs, because it's like, oh yeah, you know, they, you know, Ted Templeman, he worked with, you know, obviously Van Halen was the big one. Mm -hmm. you know, so if, if it's uh, Ted Templeman, it's probably pretty good. Yeah. And, and I mean, back, 
that's why all those guys are now writing books because they all worked with the cream of the crop and were part of the production. You know, Bo Hill was as big a part of fucking rat as Bobby Blotzer. Correct. He just was, you know, if not more, honestly, yeah. probably more. Yeah. He was like the sixth member of rat. Yeah. But he was the, he was also the general that led the thing. You know, he, he led a lot of the, of the, how the records ended up sounding, you know, he was the, like Max Norman. I mean, I, we interviewed Max Norman. Oh yeah, absolutely. I met Max a yeah. couple years ago at, at the, uh, NAM. Yeah. And we, when, when, when we talked to Max, Max told stories for days and his stories were about, you know, how he designed, how he developed like the Megadeth thing and how he would hear things, but he would hear a delay of a 10th of a second or whatever. So he would move things around and closer together so that the, the there would be less delay so that the, the sound would be crisper and tighter and whatnot. You know, he was a, he was an important part of the records that he produced a very, I mean, he was absolutely crucial to Megadeth, probably crucial to Ozzy. You know, I, I mean, he was a crucial guy. And now I couldn't even tell you. Most records are produced by the band now. At least okay. half the shit that I see says uh, produced by the band. It was bup, 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 Yeah, because because they set up their Pro Tools in their house and, you know, it doesn't cost them studio time and they can gather in the basement and set up their mics and, you know, do their thing. And, you know, it, it, people record on a budget of under $5,000. If they gather at all. I mean, that's the whole. I interviewed this band um, this week um, called the, the Vintage Caravan. They're kind of a stoner type of a band. They didn't, they didn't play together one day. Of yeah, well, they, they, they play their parts on MP3. They exchange them via email or Dropbox yeah. or whatever it is. And, mm -hmm. you know, then they take all the parts and mix them together. Yeah. You know who did that with his new record? I talked to him this week too. I'm name dropping like a motherfucker, but um, Jeff Tate. I chatted with Jeff Tate this week and Jeff is, said, is that Jeff with a G and he's, and I didn't cut the clip. God damn it. I forgot to cut that clip, but he said, yeah, it's Jeff with a G clearly <laughs> he's, he's aware of the CMS, <laughs> which was really funny. But, um, but yeah, Jeff said, cause I asked Jeff, I asked him if he likes recording that way. Cause I, you know, I asked him if he recorded through COVID. And he said, yeah, and he's, he's been living in Ireland for a lot of this year. He's been hanging out over there. So I, I did ask Jeff, I said, did you like recording this way with trading MP3s back and forth or whatever? And he, he of course corrected me because <laughs> it's Jeff with a G. Right. I just want to tell you, it's not with MP3s anymore, Chris. It's with wave files. Yeah. It's wave files. Sorry. <laughs> you know, sorry, Jeff with a G. You know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he said he actually prefers doing it that way where he's not in a room with anybody. He said he really enjoyed kind of getting mixes and, and laying his shit on top of it without ever seeing the guys. Yeah, well, it's, there's no pressure because yeah. it's just like, well, I didn't do that take the way that I want, you know, and you could just hit delete and start again. Yeah. I'm trying to find that fucking segment with Jeff with a G find it real quick i'll play it for you find it here my contents where is jeff did i put it up 
There he is, Jeff Tate. Hey, everybody, it's hey, it sure on Aftershocks. Again, the, again, the release is called April 9th. Is that correct, Jeff? I think so, yeah, April okay. 9th. I, I think so. April 9th on Frontiers and on all your streaming platforms and everywhere else. And so, Jeff, where should people go online go. to keep up with you and get your dates and all that good stuff? Well, they can Google me. That's the best way. Okay. And uh, I'm, you know, of course, I'm on Facebook, uh, JeffTate.com, JeffTateOMC, I think it's on Instagram. Yeah, I'm on all the, the different social media platforms. So it's uh, it's Jeff with a G. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Fuck it with me or not. What do you think? Uh Hard to tell because, you know, he's got a very dry sense of humor. I think he was fucking with me. He, he might have been a little bit. Because <laughs> I've never heard him say that before. No, he's he's never specified that. And the guy's been around for close to 40 years. And we've interviewed him 20-whatever times. Yeah, exactly. He's never said Jeff with a G. Do you want to hear it one more time to see? Yeah, let's, let's see. Let me back up just a little bit. I think so, yeah. April okay. 9th. So it'll be out April 9th on Frontiers and on all your streaming platforms and everywhere else. And so, Jeff, where should people go online to keep up with you and get tour dates and all that good stuff? Well, they can Google me. That's the best way. Okay. And, uh, I'm, you know, of course, I'm on Facebook, uh, JeffTate.com, JeffTateOMC. I think it's on Instagram. Yeah, I'm on all the, the different social media platforms. So it's... Uh, it's Jeff with a G. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think he's trolled us. I think he trolled me. I, I really do. Because <laughs> he giggled a little bit too, right? At the yeah. end. Yeah. So thanks, Doghouse. Yeah. One more time? One yeah, one more time. Yeah. I'm going to try and dig back just a little. With that. I think he got us. Yeah, he did. JeffTate.com. JeffTateOMC, I think it's on Instagram. Yeah, I'm on all the, the different social media platforms. So it's uh, it's Jeff with a G. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm think I'm thinking he's well. The thing is, is that you ran into his daughter. Yeah. And and she she was aware mm -hmm. that about the whole you know the whole Jeff Tate thing that Doghouse yeah. you know would do. So, yeah, I think he trolled me a little bit and that's funny and good for him. I love that. Yeah. Jeff with a G. It's funny because I thought it at the time too. When, when you see the video, you'll see it. I, I just big smile and laugh because I just knew, I just knew he got me. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well played, sir. Well played. Yeah, Jeff with a G. <laughs> Jeff with a G. <laughs> I wonder if he was wearing his yachting cap when he was doing the interview with you. I don't know if he was or he wasn't, but the picture that I put up here, I'll, let me just share the screen. <laughs> I put up a picture of him with the big leather vest. <laughs> Look at the photo I used. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Jeff needs to lay off the wine. He's got the big belly going on there. He likes the wine. He does. He doesn't. He doesn't. Here we go. I'm going to play it one more time. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny to me. Get tour dates and all that good stuff. Well, they can Google me. That's the best way. Okay. And uh, I'm, you know, of course, I'm on Facebook, uh, JeffTate.com, 
just Tate OMC. I think it's on Instagram. Yeah, I'm on all the, the different social media platforms. So it's uh, it's Jeff with a G. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> funny. Love it. Bravo, Mr. Tate. Bravo. Yeah, Jeff with a G. Jeff with a G. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So there we have it. Well, if 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 he's been uh uh you know heard our segments or doghouse's segments. Yeah. That's funny. There are segments, and it's fine. You know, I just hey, I'm glad if, if if he was trolling us and he's aware of them, which I fully believe he is. I'm glad he still plays the game. I'm glad he's not an uptight cunt that will not come on or anything. You know, that's good on him. That because those segments were kind of rough. Well, I know, I know, it's funny. They were funny, but they were in, they were joking. They were in a joking spirit. You can't joke these days. There's yeah, no well, joking, man. Well, good on Jeff, who generally comes off as a serious guy. To not be pissed off and to to play along—that's pretty funny. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I did hear that this week. I just laughed. I got a good laugh out of that. It's Jeff with a G. Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to see if I had that clip somewhere of Jeff with a G. Yeah. It's Jeff with a G. It's in the. It it should be in the ID for for the real Jeff Tate segments, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I'm looking for it. Okay. Uh, real Jeff Tate. Here. I, I don't know if it's under the real Jeff Tate or just real Jeff Tate. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I have it listed. Uh, let's see here. Uh, nope, I can't see. I can't seem to find it right quick. That's fine. Jeff All right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, it made me happy. That interview's coming out here soon, by the way, for anybody that's interested in that. Had a really good conversation with Jeff, actually. It's um I don't know when it comes out. April April twelfth, I think, or something. All right. What well, did he say? Whatever he said the date was, add a couple of days. It's yeah, the- he said April 9th, so it's probably April twelfth. Yeah, it's the Monday after the release date is when right. when that interview hits. But had a nice talk with Jeff. He was, you know, he was his normal, his normal, you know, fun self. He definitely was was into it and chatted about Day on the Green '91 and chatted about this sweet, sweet Oblivion record, which is really pretty good. If for you fans that like uh, that like me and Neely like Queensrÿche. You'll probably like Sweet Oblivion. The first record, I honestly think the first record is a little bit better than the newest one. The newest one's a little more mid-tempo, but um, both of them sound like classic Queensryche, and he sounds great. So, All right. Surprised how good he actually does sound on this thing, to be honest. He sounds really good. Perfect. Alan Kilcaller, you're on the air. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? We're well. Who is this, and where are you calling from? Uh, Neely, this is Dan Tobin from Virginia. All right. What's happening? Well, uh, it's, it's, um, I'm not listening, so don't, don't punch me in the mouth through the phone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is Chris, is, is Chris there? Is he there? Chris is here. here. Chris is always here. He's the ever present Chris. What's up? Excellent. Uh, again, I'm not listening. So Chris, don't, don't punch me in the face. 
uh, and I, I, this is way off topic, but I got a quick question for you, sir. Okay. Um, real quick, and I'll be in and out. All right. Um, my my friends are, are they like Pantera, but they're not neck deep in Pantera to where they could answer this question or kind of make sense of it. But Chris, I was on uh, iTunes the other day, and I was buying music, and I saw the single called "Piss" by Pantera. Yes. And I'm like, I bought it and I listened to it. It's in, it's in my collection, of course. And it was weird. It, it's like, it starts off exactly like use my third arm. Mm-hmm. And then it makes the right turn and goes, goes into another riff. Can you just help me explain what was piss? Was it just some crazy little release that they did or it was, it was a bonus track for the 20th anniversary of, or 25th, whatever the anniversary was for what vulgar or far beyond whichever one it was far beyond yeah okay you know and what it was was it was a song that didn't make the grade but they liked okay. some of the parts so they they mm-hmm. took the parts and they cut the parts up and the parts are to like i i believe two different songs and don't yeah cause it sounds exactly like use my thorough as it starts yeah i mean um, it, that's what it is. It's a it's a completed song that they didn't like, but they liked pieces of it. So then they used it for other things. They- oh, okay, all right. So anyway, it's 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 uh, it's really it's it's kind of cool because it you know the song and I was like, what is this? You know, and I, I was way late, you know, finding this thing, but there it was. So um, okay, cool. Thanks. All right. That that was my question, sir. All right. I'm out of here. Hail and kill. Fuck you, pal. And of course, hand job. Thank you, guys. <laughs> of course, hand job. Of course. Right. I, found, I found the tape bumper, by the way. Okay, good. Play that up. There we go. Greetings and salutations, everyone. This is Jeff Tate. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man of eloquence, sagacity, wit, and exceptional breeding. I am shedding my metal cloak. These days, I prefer a friendly game of backgammon. The most refined and cultured songwriter and wine connoisseur of the modern era. I am obsessed with sex. I'm paddling ham right now. I am wearing a smoking jacket. Nothing boorish comes from a man in a smoking jacket. The voice of Jeff Tate's Queensryche? <laughs> Full frontal nudity. Mr. Jeff Tate. Jeff with a G. I play the saxophone. <laughs> Jeff with a G. I'm on all the, the different social media platforms, so it's uh, it's Jeff with a G. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking that uh, he he got he got uh, the wind of that. Yeah, I think he trolled me. I, I think he did. It's Jeff with a G. Because at the beginning, not in you won't hear it in the interview, but it was like the you know the minute talk up before we started. He asked me what show I was from, and I said, "Well, I do aftershocks and I do the classic metal show." And he goes, "Ah, ah the classic metal show. I've interviewed with you before, right?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, many times." He's like, yeah, I'm well aware of you guys. And, it, and he just said it. But the way he said it didn't sound like it was like, you're fucked. It just was like he knew of the show. Like, Of course. I mean, like, he's been on the show like 25 times. Yeah. But but then the Jeff with a G at the end really 
and you hear me laugh immediately. <laughs> like, okay, I know you got me, pal. <laughs> it's Jeff with a G. It's Jeff with a G. Exactly. <laughs> so funny. So good. I'm so yeah. happy with that clip. All right. Well, make sure you, you isolate that. I will. I'll pull it out so that you can you can have it to to use in future things. All right. All right. Well, finishing up this uh, whole thing here about the streaming and and tons of money. Mm -hmm. While streaming has helped most survive, it's helped the major labels get even richer. In 2019, research group MBW figured the three major labels each made about one million an hour from streaming. Wow. A million an hour. Mm Wow. Wow. Only the biggest independent labels uh, clear that much in a year. The top seven artists on Spotify each earn around half a million dollars per year from streaming on the service. See, these these uh, labels are making a million an hour, mm-hmm. but yet the artists are making a half a million a year. Well, and again, we, and we've had this conversation before and we've put it to the artists and even they can't fucking figure it out. It's their fault. They signed these bad deals and they continue to do it. They continue to do, dude, when, when we talked to Ellison and asked him point blank, can't you sign a deal where they don't put up the whole album? And he, he gave, he gave us the whole, was that me and you or me and Matt? I don't remember. I was you and Matt. But he gave us the whole answer about, well, it's kind of like not putting your food in the grocery store. How many people are actually going to buy it? Well, see, that's the whole thing. And I think that's what this article is kind of pointing out is that they're at the mercy of these three labels. If you don't cooperate with us, you don't get anything. Yeah, but you know what? How much do you really get if you're, you know, his music, David Ellison's music is like a grape. In yeah, the, well, in, in the, in the yeah, grocery store. If you're talking, if you're talking outside of Megadeth, yeah, yeah, David Elveson music, yeah, I would agree with you. Even Megadeth music is still like the like a grape in the music store, where half the people might buy the grapes, and another half might just grab a grape or two as they're walking by and eat a grape in the grocery store, right? Yeah, they might they might sample the product. Yeah. And that's, that's what having it in the store is not necessarily a win. Megadeth, you can't tell me that Megadeth, as big as a Megadeth is right now, or a Dream Theater, or, a, you know, whoever else that's on that level right now that's still active, Ozzy Osbourne. You can't tell me that these guys couldn't make more money producing their music themselves put it online themselves, put the distribution online themselves, whether it's physical or, or, uh, MP3 and make more money. And they could do this, but they don't because in the end, and, and, you know, if, if we have music, musician friends that hear this, it might hurt to hear, but most of them are lazy. Yeah, well, again, it's the whole technological thing or going out and finding a Chris Aiken to, you know, embrace or bring into their camp that can facilitate 
that. Kind see, of- I don't. I don't think it's that. I think anybody anybody can hire a Chris Aiken. There's a million of. Believe me when I tell you, I'm not the only one that can figure out how to make well, MP3s course. download. I, I, I'm well aware of that. I'm just using you as an example. I know. I know but the, the part that I say is lazy is not that they can't. It's that you have to adapt a different mindset to do it that way. And that is the part where they're lazy. It's like, well, it's easier for me to just give it to a label and take a $20,000, $30,000, $50,000 check. Yeah. Well, and I agree. It's just like, well, no fuss, no muss. Just give me my money and, you know, we'll do with it what you will. And I'll just take what you give me and I'll be happy with that. Yeah. That's, and that's what it is. It's a laziness in adapting, which is the same reason that the industry failed as well, because they had a laziness in adapting. You know, it's funny what, what it's 2021 Napster came out in 2001 and just now we're hearing about this fucking NFT nonsense. It's like, it's, you know, and that's supposedly going to be the next thing that, that saves the, saves the music industry is these NFTs. And it's like, it's like, you guys are way too late. You know, it's not going to work. Are you, are you hip to the NFT or not? No, no. What is that? It's, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak on it, but I don't, I'm going to say that I'm speaking from a place of ignorance. I don't know a lot. I only learned about it in the last couple of weeks. It's some sort of a digital license where, where an artist can offer something and, and the only way you have ownership of it is if you buy it, buy it through this license, this NFT non-fungal transfer or something i don't remember what nft looks is somebody will tell me in the chat room but um i'll give you an example of one and or i'll give you a couple of examples and you can try and explain it to me and i'm I'm actually interviewing somebody this week so i should have a better answer next week on it but there's a band called um september morning they're kind of a modern metal band and the chick is smoking hot oh my goodness is she hot but um, she's releasing a bunch of her artwork. Okay. okay. And it's digital artwork. And she's only releasing one NFT per the artwork. So like each piece of art, like one has like, it's all black and white. And then one has like red eyes and one has blue eyes. One has green eyes. And you know, it's, it's art. Okay. But you can buy an nft of this piece of artwork and you'll be like the sole owner of it but what i don't understand is what that does now does that make it so that you can sue somebody if they use that artwork or it's All almost right. well, I've, got it. I've got it right here okay it's called non-fungible token non-fungible token okay uh, that, uh, that doesn't make it, uh, any clearer what that is. So, uh, non-fungible more or less means that it's a, that it's unique and can't be replaced with something else. For example, a Bitcoin is fungible trade one for another Bitcoin. You'll have exactly the same thing. A one of a kind trading car- card, however, is non-fungible. 
If you traded it for a different card, you have something completely different. You give up a, you give up a Squirtle and got a 1909 T206 Hannes Wagner, which uh, stadium calls the Mona Lisa of the baseball cards. Okay. How do NFTs work? At a very high level, most NFTs are part of a Ethereum blockchain. I think that's Ethereum. Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum is a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or a Dogecoin, but it's a blockchain also supports these NFTs, which store extra information that makes them work differently from, say, a ETH coin. Okay. It's worth nothing that the other blockchains can implement on their own versions of the NFTs. What's okay. worth picking up at an NFT market? NFT can real let's see. NFTs can really be anything digital such as drawings, which is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Music, your brain downloaded and turned into a uh, into AI. Okay. But a lot of the current excitement is around using the tech to sell the digital art. I don't think anyone can stop you from um buying let's see here. You mean like people buying my good tweets. I don't think anyone can stop you, but that's not really what I mean. A lot of the conversation is about NFTs as an uh evolution of fine art collecting only with digital art digital art Mm -hmm. um do people really think this will become like art collecting i'm sure some people really hope so like whoever paid three hundred ninety thousand dollars for a 50 second video of grimes by grimes i don't know what that is or, or the person who paid six point six million for video by Beeple. I have no idea what this shit is. No, that is uh, actually one of the Beeple's pieces was auctioned at Christie's. The famous, uh, let's see, what is this? This is just this is just amazing that people are buying something that is not tangible. Well, and, and the big one that has sold so far is Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Jack Dorsey sold his first tweet. How do, how do you own a tweet? Because it's his platform? I don't know. It, that is just the most bizarre thing in the world. Yeah, but they, they paid $2.8 million for it. So, again, this is, this is something in the digital age or the digital platform. So can you hang that on your wall? You know what I mean? Can you? Well, more to the more to the question is, okay. Let's just say I bought Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can I now sue if somebody uses it like on their website? Like if they're making a documentary on the history of Twitter. Okay. Can I now sue since I have an NFT for Jack Dorsey's first tweet? Is it now my legal property i i i don't i i i'm looking for clarification too i'm I'm, like i said i'm interviewing this girl emily lazar from um from um 
the this band um september morning next week and i and the main reason i'm interviewing her is because i don't understand this nft and even i've re i read that same article that you're reading and i came away with no more knowledge of what the fucking nft is than when i started reading it it doesn't make sense yeah well what is beeple Beep. that's b with a b with a beeple that's b b e e p l e beeple video home people the home of mike winkleman people is mike winkleman a graphic designer from charlotte north carolina who does a variety of digital artwork including short films creative commons vj loops every days etc etc just some creator guy yeah well, well well his video whatever this video is mm -hmm. sold for like a shit ton of money 6.6 .6 million dollars for a video by people must be a goddamn great video and it was uh it was auctioned by christie's hmm. <laughs> so can you imagine this video being on like a file of some kind and in, in oh. your card drive crash <laughs> god damn it i lost my people i lost my people video <laughs> oh my god uh, well, in case you were wondering, Neely, I just yes. found this article on Artnet News. Yes. Uh, the buyers of the $69 million Beeple reveal their true identities and say the purchase was about taking a stand for people of color. <laughs> <laughs> so that was worth $6.6 .6 million? No, according to this article, $69 million. Well, I wish I had that kind of cash to just throw around. Yeah. They bought in a blog post on Thursday with the opaque title NFTs, the first 5,000 beeples, the previously pseudonym, whatever, the, the, the previously unknown players behind the headline grabbing $69 million sale of the digital artist beeples every day, the first 5,000 days, revealed their true identities. They are so-and-so, some Indian guy, a.k.a. Metacovan. And something, something, some other Indian guy, a.k.a. Tubador. Sundarian was, the, was an early investor in Ethereum and has backed Bitcoin's ATMs, among other ventures. Tubador is a wordsmith and a crypto tinhorn, according to his Twitter bio. In the post, they did a lot more than reveal their names. So-and-so and so-and-so -and -so also laid out the motivation for the purchase, the record-breaking auction by, they say, was self-consciously was a self-consciously anti-racist statement. <sighs> the point was to show Indians and people of color that they too could be patrons. All that, right. That crypto was an equalizing power between the West and the rest, and that the global South was rising. Right. <laughs> so and so and so and so. Are, are they are they waving a Confederate flag at the same time? I don't know, but the one guy, Anand Vikanasharan, <laughs> he's got a serious Raleigh Fingers um, mustache going on. <laughs> well, here's the thing that that I don't understand. Do you remember um, what was it? Almost ten years ago, what was that whole thing? Second Life? 
Oh yeah, second our friend Sheldon was. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Does that even exist anymore? Oh, Second Life's still out there, of course. Is it? it? I, again, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I don't think it's as popular as it yeah, was. But, but people were throwing a lot of money into that. Sure, they were. They were buying quote unquote property, and they were buying space on the Second Life, and they were piping and music to their virtual businesses and shit like that their second life was more important than their primary life yeah well getting back to that this is what this reminds me of oh yeah what, what are you buying oh well i'm buying a digital thing well well what where is the value in that yeah i don't know it's well i i downloaded it on my hard drive and i own that so you bought a youtube video pretty much and you paid six point six million dollars. Oh, sixty-nine million. Well, I know, but I'm talking about the one that was in the story. Yeah. But holy fuck, are you shitting me? Well, look, I just posted a picture of Adnan in the in the thing, so that you can see that awesome mustache. Yeah, again, but but <laughs> again, what are people buying? Beats me. It's not even a tangible product. Yeah, yeah I, I see that. I mean, good, good for these guys that they had 69 million to throw away on this bullshit. And you know, in crypto, you can make that kind of money fast. <laughs> I certainly understand that in crypto, you can make that money really fast. Well, that's just bizarre, but man, I don't know about all of this NFTs and I, I'm going to be honest, you know, you know what it really is, dude. It's not only NFTs. It's just the whole new digital economy is growing faster than we can comprehend it. Well, and I believe that, but the thing is, is, is what is, what is your investment? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I know, I know for me, I I'm invested in Bitcoin Yeah, into a, into a fund and I invested dollars. I mean, I invested a thousand dollars into into my my bitcoin fund now what am i i'm generating five five to seven hus a day which i'm told is is a one-to-one -one equivalent of a dollar and i'm told that if i wanted to i could pull my money out at any time but i just you know i'm i'm letting it ride for the 20 months where they said that if i just let it ride for 20 months my 1000 will be 3000. Oh yeah. Take that shit for a ride. Yeah, and 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 really because I didn't go to any concerts last year, that's my concert money. Yeah, I, I get it, but it's oh. just bizarre because there's nothing tangible there that you could No. You know, for people like who own, you know, paintings like a Chagall or a Picasso mm -hmm. or whatever and you got it literally hanging on your wall yeah. and if somebody wanted to buy it, you would take it down off your wall and say all right, sure. you want to buy this, you know, uh, Rembrandt for right. $6 million. Here it is. But you're, you're buying something that you're looking at on your computer screen and go, yeah. yeah, you can have this picture. I'll just transfer it over by WeTransfer. Mm -hmm. Once you transfer your $6 million into my bank account. Yeah, and I'll send you this fucking tweet or whatever. <laughs> It just doesn't make any sense. I know there, there's something that, that we, and not only me and you, but the world itself is missing in this story and in, and in all of this NFT stuff. And I don't know what it is. There's something 
either that or or it's just so stupid that it, it, we just cannot compute it. But yeah, uh, but but what do you own? That's that's what's missing. I don't know what you own. Yeah, I don't even think that you own the digital work itself. I don't think these guys got like the the file and the you know the whatever the mix the the video mix file is or whatever and then the completed file i don't think they get that i think they they own some kind of rights it, it, it's it's some kind of rights ownership to this stuff and and why is that even valuable i don't know where 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 would anybody use that to where it could become valuable and you go man that could generate some money for me because they're going to use it in a movie and maybe that's the place where we're confused because typical financial things have always been about gaining value. Yeah, but it's got to have some kind of a value. It doesn't have to. Well, you would think it would have to have some kind of tangible value. But see, I, I don't think it does because even like what you just read, it's not for trading. It's for giving you a unique piece it's not for you to have a unique piece i don't really i don't give a shit about that yeah well i know you don't but i'm telling you i think that's what nfts are for oh my god i think it's so that you own a tangible thing that you can't sell which is why the music industry is looking to adopt this because they want you to buy an nft for the new hailstorm record and you can't do anything with it you can't trade it anymore you can't give it away. You can't loan it. You can't, you know, you, you have it and that's it, I think. And I could be dead wrong on this. And please, if, if there's anybody that knows anything about these NFTs, by all means, you know, let, let us know, call in and let us know or throw it in the chat room or whatever. But I, I honestly think that that's what's different now is that in the past, everything was was sold with the potential to resell. You know, you bought a CD. Well, if you didn't like it, you always knew you had the potential to resell. And now they're trying to say, well, you bought this, you're stuck with this. It's almost like digital hoarding kind of a thing where you, you know, you're, you're buying, you're buying something and it's stuck with you forever. Right. Now, not that this is valuable to mm-hmm. anyone but me. Yeah. I'm going to the camera here so I can put it where people can see this. All right. Can you see this? Yeah. It's all what is, what is, what is it? Chicago? Chicago yeah. something. That is Chicago CD signed by all the members. Mm-hmm. All right. I have this in my hand, obviously. Sure. Now, if some or most or all of these members die somewhere down the road, mm-hmm. which is highly probable. Sure. I still have this. Okay. And for some reason, some collector was just like, oh, man, I, I would like a Robert Lamb uh, autograph. Right. Or, or a Jimmy Panko autograph or Lee Lockdane or whomever. Mm-hmm. And I have this in my hand and you go, dude, I've got this Chicago disc with everybody's autograph on the CD. Mm-hmm. What's that worth to you? 
I could put this in FedEx and FedEx to this guy because he transferred a million dollars into my account. I get it. I dude, I get it. And what I'm saying is NFTs are not made for that purpose. I know, but that's fucking bizarre. That is, just, I, and again, I know you and I are just bantering about this, yeah. but see, I have something right here mm-hmm. and, and somebody may go, man, I'd love to have that. Yeah. And I would go, it's yours, dude, only a million dollars. And it's like, well, I'm a billionaire. A million dollars is a drop in the bucket for me. It's, it's yours. I'm transferring a million dollars to you tomorrow. Drop that shit in the FedEx and get that over to me immediately. I got to have that for my collection. Yeah. And, and with the NFTs though, the way it works is the artist wants you to have to buy it. And then you forevermore have it. You have no, it has no resaleability at all. <laughs> it just sounds like so dumb. Somebody put it in the chat room and I don't think people are goofing on it a little bit, but I don't think it's so such a big stretch. It's part of the great reset where you don't own anything and you rent everything. That doesn't sound like that's too far from the truth. (laughs) I don't get it. All right, Sal, uh, I don't know if you're like 30 minutes behind or what, but we just talked about what an NFT is for the last 30 minutes. If you ain't figured it out by now, use Google. In fact, we read the Google for God's sakes. Come on, dude. That's bizarre, man. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't fully understand all of it. I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to try when I talk to this Emily Lazar from, from September morning, who's actually doing this. I'm going to try to get some, some clarification. And if, if she has a good answer, I'll, I'll bring the clip to the show next week and, and we can hear it from somebody that's actually doing it. Cause at least then it's somebody that's making some sense of it. You know, I, I don't fully understand it myself. I just think I'm guessing at this point, what, what it is and what I think it is, is nothing more than you buy an NFT from the artist and it, it more gives the artist control of their sale. It makes it so that there's no way to resell it. There's no resale value. There's no transferability. But why is that, va- why is that valuable to the buyer? Because the buyer still gets what, like if it was an album, let's just say it was the new hailstorm release. Okay. You as the, the purchaser, the only thing that the band wants you to have is the ability to listen to that. That's all they want you to have. Well, see, that's, they, why, that's why that's why I phrase this. What value is this to the buyer instead of the instead of the seller? Well, because, and, and to the buyer, you get you get what you would have bought if you went to the store. No, you, you don't. Sure, you do. You get the music. Yeah, but but see, see, you're missing my point. If, if I was hailstorm and some rich fuck said, Hey, record this 12 CD, you know, uh, track CD for me only. Sure. And I'll buy it from you for X amount of bucks, uh, a million dollars. Okay. 
and this person sends them a million dollars, then they own these 12 songs. Okay. The band makes out with a million dollars and they'll go, well, we'll write another 12 songs for distribution, not specifically those 12 songs, but you know, mm-hmm. but, but the owner of the originally 12 that paid them a million dollars. Yeah. Now what does he go? Well, Hailstorm recorded 12 songs just for me. Okay. Now here, here's where that doesn't work with the, where the NFT is better than, than your plan. Okay. This has actually been done. What you're specifying has actually been done. Okay. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan, the, the rap group. Yes. Recorded an album called Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. It was limited to a single copy. With yeah. One copy of it. They sold it for $2 million, I believe. $2 okay. $3 million. All right. Now, whoever bought it, when they die, it's going to transfer to somebody. Okay. If the artist doesn't want you to have the ability to transfer it to anybody and you die and it's not a tangible product, it's just a digital product, it's gone. It's gone. It's rental. It, it It's like a lifetime rental agreement. Yeah. So, so it just, you know, it's, it just, you know, more or less just is lost in the digital, you know, wow. universe forever. Yeah, exactly. And so that's worth money. Well, it's worth money to the artists. I'd bet you if we got an artist on here, like a band guy, they would be for this. Well, again, this is why I said, what, yeah. what is the benefit to the buyer? Not the artist. The, the artist is going to make out. Yeah. But know, who, says, whether, who says there is a benefit to the artist Well, or to the buyer? Well, there isn't, but again, it's just like, why are these people throwing this, these, this obscene amount of money around for what, just because they have the money and they can do it. And I honestly think the answer to that is yes. Okay. I think it's, if that's the answer, then I'm satisfied to say, okay, well, just, just because you can, don't you think it's because it's a new thing and they're on the cutting edge and they can, well, we had enough money to do this. And by the way, invest in our Bitcoin fucking company. (laughs) Seriously. Well, again, I I'll agree with you. I'm not going to disagree with that. It just seems insane to me just to throw money around just to say, Hey, I bought something exclusive. It's Mm -hmm. digital. And then, uh, if I, if my hard drive crashes or God forbid the cloud crashes or something, it just disappears. So I just paid $6.6 million for this thing, but it just kind of disappeared on me. But Hey, you know what? Easy come, easy go. What the fuck? But dude, I, I honestly think it's not that much different than buying a painting, put it on your wall and having your fucking house burned. Well, down. that part, but there's insurance on that. Well, maybe you can get insurance on an NFT. You think? I don't know. I dude, it's it's all such brand new technology. <laughs> I, I honestly don't have any I I don't even know for sure that what I'm saying is right. Yeah, I know, but but I'm just <laughs> trying to use a logic here, and I don't think logic applies to any well, of it. No, I I don't think you understand that the methodology to it, or you're, it's not it, it, and believe me, I understand why it's not computing to you because it is the way these new stupid people think, but <laughs> they can't be stupid if they've got multi-millions of sure dollars. Can. We, we both know that's not true. Just throw around and go, Hey man, sign we, me up for that. 
We both know that's not true. That's why half, that's why every goddamn eight of every 10 NFL players that make a hundred million dollars go broke. Well, they, they, you can they, be stupid and rich. That is true. But, but they, they became rich because of their physical ability. Right. And not because they were great money managers. Right. Well, Jeff Bezos fucking gave away half a gazillion dollars in a divorce because he was too, too stupid to just fuck whores. <laughs> so yeah, you can yeah, be, but, but, he, but, and, but when he was on, you know, but before he started his company, it was already married. Yeah. So he wasn't, he might've been not in a position to be fucking Maybe. cars, Maybe. A broke dick. I'm just saying that stupid wealth is no barometer of, of knowledge. It's really not. I, I agree, but, but you become wealthy somehow. Yeah, it could just be as it could be as lucky as having a great accountant. <laughs> True. I mean, honestly, it, that's you can be a fucking tool bag. How many fucking musicians do we know that have made millions of dollars? Well, they made millions of dollars. Be, it's not because they were smart and yeah, no, they they, they did it because they were at the right place at the right time and they had a certain talent that somebody else i get all that but what i'll also get is there's a reason that your favorite band dockin has one guy that has millions of dollars in the bank and three guys that are broke dicks that don't have as much money as i have in the bank true there's a reason for that because w making money does not make you smart it just makes you money and don was the one that probably hired the right accountant and didn't blow all his money on fucking caviar and coke and fucking, you know, live frugally when everybody else was going crazy. Yeah, buying and, cars and houses yeah. and you know, living large. Stupid shit. And now he's got now he's got fuck you money. Where the other guys are still playing fucking happies in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> you know, trying to trying to make a living. Exactly. I mean, that's just the way it is, dude. But back to the NFT thing and why I don't think it's computing with you, while I agree with you fully that it does not make sense to buy an asset that has zero resellable or zero or, true or value or tangibility has no tangible value. That is what this is, is moving toward. That's what they're trying to push in. Wow. Uh, you get the ability to, what they're trying to say is that as a musician, as a music connoisseur, you get for your money, kind of the same as you get if you visit a concert you get to go in you get to hear it but that's all you get you don't get to take it home with you you don't get to you you know when you went when you go and see whoever you know um dead daisies six months from now or whatever you're gonna go see that show and you're gonna say yeah that fucking kicked ass and that's the end of your fucking 40 bucks that you went home and you have those memories that's what they're trying to do with this NFT thing. You get to hear these tunes, but you don't get to ever sell them again. You don't get to trade them. You don't get to give them away. You don't get to leave them to your, you know, your, your nephews or whatever, when you drop dead. That's what I think they're going for. All right. I can't say that I'm right on that. And believe me. Next week, I may come to you and say every word of this last hour that I said was wrong. Well, I'm I'm extremely curious. I am too, because I'd love to understand. Dude, I have digital product out the ass. I'd love to sell my bonus chapters of fucking Call Me Chris or and other things for, you know, 
for some tangible thing. You know, if I could make a few hundred bucks selling some bonus chapters and only, only those people can ever see it or whatever, I'm there. Works for me. I'll try it. I can tell you now. I don't know what it is yet, but much like Bitcoin, if, if as you remember, I came on here and said, I don't know shit about Bitcoin. And the next week I had invested a thousand dollars in Bitcoin. Right. I'm not afraid to try something just to see what it does. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, for somebody like you or me, a thousand bucks isn't a, a shit ton of money. Right. And it's worth, it's worth a, a shot in the dark because if you go to Vegas, you know, you'll, you'll blow a thousand dollars in no time. So mm -hmm. if you can just throw that in there and, you know, have a higher probability that it's going to net you something. Yeah. Uh, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. I, I don't know. I don't know that it's going to take off or not, but yeah, but it's where it's worth, you know, because it's kind of the way, the way. Mm hmm. So there it is, the NFT. All right. All right. Well, I think we should take a short break. All right. I think the best way to end this segment is uh, some ACDC. Okay. With some money talks. All right. You want to just do two songs and then we'll wrap? Uh, it's up to you. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. I'm not going to try and process it. It'll take me too long to download this long segment anyway. We'll, we'll just do two songs. We'll come back. We'll do 30 minutes and we'll get the fuck out of here. All right. All right. Well, here it is. It's for the, what is it? EFT? The NFT. NFT. For the NFT people who've got a lot of money just to throw around mm -hmm. for God knows what. <laughs> Here's your money talks exclusively here. On your class. All right. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? And you know what else is a lot of fun? The CMS Podcast Network. That's right. CMSPN.com is the address. Make sure you go over there. Make sure you watch the episodes there. You listen to the episodes there. And maybe you even just subscribe so it's delivered to your phone, to whatever podcasting software you use. But do it from CMSPN.com. Once again, CMSPN.com. 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 We'll see you next time, fucks.